There we go. Great. Hey, all the young people who are 12 and 13-year-olds are heading off to YPs, you're welcome to go with uh, Steve over there. He's a new dad. I'm a new grandfather. Okay. Okay. Hey, I want to um, talk to you today about uh, Sermon on the Mount. We often ask, what's the Sermon on the Mount? It's a sermon that was actually on a mountain. That's why they call it the Sermon on the Mount. (laughs) If you're just wondering, okay, we'll let all these people go over there. Chat for a while. I want to just read to you from, uh, in a moment, Matthew chapter 5. Um, because uh, if you were to look um, for the sermon, actually the Sermon on the Mount is the very first message Jesus ever preached. Well, scripturally anyway, we see maybe he preached others, but maybe they weren't written down. But this is the first one that he, uh, he, he, he proclaimed and was written down. And you know, when you, whenever you do the first of something, you want to make it pretty special, don't you? Have your first child, that's pretty special. Uh, first marriage, hopefully only. Uh, I'll just see if you wait. Uh, that's, pretty, that's very special. But Jesus preaches his first message in, in uh, it's, uh, Matthew chapter 5. It takes up three whole chapters, 5, 6, and 7. And just in case we didn't get it, Luke actually writes about the Sermon on the Mount as well. Uh, but Luke gives us the condensed form in one chapter, chapter 6 of Luke. So Matthew takes three. What Luke takes, it puts down in one. And, but I want to read you Matthew's account this morning. Uh, Matthew 5, 11 to 20. Um, the other thing I just wanted to share, if we, if we were to uh, read all four chapters in regards, that's the three in Matthew, the one in Luke, if you were to read all four chapters about this sermon, the, the first sermon that Jesus preached, uh, you, you, could, uh, you could think that it's just a series of individual messages, uh, particularly in Matthew 5, you can think, oh, they're just all little individual things that Jesus wanted to say. But the reality and the truth is that everything that Jesus says in three chapters of Matthew are connected to each other, okay? Can you just understand that? They're all connected. They all have a purpose. They all have a reason. They all have something that they're declaring. So firstly, we need to understand that. The second thing that you need to understand about the three chapters of Matthew that we're not going to read all three chapters in the one chapter of Luke, you could think that it was... Uh, as you read these verses, you could think, oh, this is all about um, um, Christianity versus the world in the sense of um, those, it's kind of Christianity, those who obey God and those who don't obey God. You could, you could think that, okay, but really it's not. It's not about Christianity versus the world. Of course, we understand that there's Christian values. They're quite um, diametrically opposed to the worldly values sometimes, aren't they? You would agree we've just gone through a you know, whole thing in Australia, you know, um, same-sex marriage. Where, you know, where, where we, don't, uh, we would think that the Word of God doesn't uphold that. Uh, the world, obviously our nation to a certain extent does now. So there's a, there's, there's a difference of belief systems. You can understand that. And we could think, and we'd been, we would be mistaken if we thought Matthew chapter 5, 6 and 7 are all about Christianity versus the world because it's not about that because uh, the truth is, this whole chapter is contrasting Christian values, and here we go, with religious values. Okay? Because Christianity is not just different to the world, but it's completely different to religion this morning. 
It wasn't Jesus' day. It's still different today. Now, some of you might have a bit of an idea of what you think that is, but let's kind of uh, just drill down on that a bit this morning. So can we read? Oh, there we go. We can read chapter, Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 to 20. Here we go. It's on the screen for you. It says, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. This is Jesus speaking, everybody. Verse 12, Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt, verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the, what? Come on, you're the light of the, well, a city that's set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Do not think that I've come to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy it, but to fulfill. For surely I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one little tittle, tiller or tittle will by no means pass from the law till all it's fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you, unless your righteousness, come on, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. I want to talk to you this morning. You'll see, I will use two terminologies this morning because there's a difference between Christian goodness and religious righteousness. You'll hear me say that quite a number of times uh, this morning. I want you to grasp something today. I, I think it's incredibly powerful that's contained within these verses we read this morning. In actual fact, in all of the three chapters of um, Matthew's account of Jesus preaching this first message, there's some pretty powerful stuff. Um, so we're going to contrast Christian values. And this passage is not contrasting uh, darkness and light. It's not co contrasting Christianity in the world. It's contrasting Christian goodness with, with religious righteousness. Okay. Now you may say, what's that really got to do with me this morning? Well, let's have a look. Let's have a look. I would think we would all agree um, that... Um, the truth is, in the New Testament, the greatest moments of hostility that Jesus ever come across was when the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders, came against him and opposed him and continued to criticize him over and over and over again because he seemed to be opposing them. And you know what? They would have been right because there's a difference between Christian goodness and what? Religious righteousness. In actual fact, Jesus was probably, while he, he sought to love them, he, wasn't too, he, he, he didn't have the most exciting things to say about them either. He did call them a brood of vipers once. Uh, and he wasn't doing it out of some kind of um, uh, deep down hatred for them. He was just kind of stating the reality and the truth of, of what they were and what they were doing because they were leading so many people astray in what they and their belief system taught. So... Uh, it was often the non-religious people, wasn't it, who, who seemed to be, um, and the Bible addresses them as sinners and tax collectors, and it seems to be those group of people that actually uh, were attracted to Jesus and, uh, and, and gave him, they were receptive to him and his teachings and his ways. Praise God for that. So in the Sermon on the Mount here in Matthew chapter 5 to 7, and even in Luke chapter 6, we continually, we didn't read this bit this morning, but um, 
there is, there is always, Jesus talks about two ways. And at the end of, I think in chapter 7 of Matthew, at the end of chapter 6 in Luke, he talks about two ways. He describes it in different ways. He says there are two paths. One's narrow, one's wide. Remember that story? And then he says, um, one leads to life, one leads to destruction. He says, there are two trees, one has good fruit, one has bad fruit. And then there's two houses, one's built on deep foundations and on the rock, and the other's built on shallow, no foundations, on the sand. So we see Jesus is always referring to these two ways. Um, and we see that those one way will poison the eater, it'll destroy the traveler, and it will collapse on its residence. And... Um, and Jesus says, you've got to choose. Choose between those ways, and you've got to choose between these ways. See, now, what are these two ways? Well, once again, I emphasize traditionally, we would say what well, Jesus is saying, you can either obey God's laws or you can disobey God's laws. That's what the two ways are. But that's not what he's saying. Because the reality is, it's not what you think, because never does it say in the sermon that Jesus preaches that there are people who obey God's laws and there are people that don't obey God's laws. We see people, all, all people in this three chapters of Matthew are all trying to obey God's laws. So we see people, but what's happening is, he says, well, I want to tell you, see, some of you say, well, this is how I should pray, but I want to tell you this is how you should pray. See, people are all wanting to pray, but he says, you pray that way, but I want to tell you that this is how you should pray. See, some of you, we all give to the poor. If he says, but you say, give this way, I want to tell you there's another way to give to the poor. See, there's a difference between what you're doing and what I think and what, I, what should really happen. See, on the Sermon on the Mount, we don't really see good and evil. We see both groups of people praying, both groups of people giving to the poor, both groups of people going to church, both groups of people studying the Bible, yet one is poison and the other is the way to life. Okay? I'm building up here. Just hang on there. And in verse 20, what we read this morning, this last verse of this passage says, but I say to you that Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the religious leaders or Pharisees and scribes, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. It, very challenging thought. But I want you to understand that Jesus is saying you have to surpass the righteousness of the religious people. It's not saying... You're good and they're bad, and we're bad and they're good. It's not saying that. You see, both groups are seeking to obey God. One is driven by religious righteousness. The other is driven by Christian goodness. There's a complete difference. They're, they are opposed. As the Christian goodness is opposed to worldly ways, so is Christian goodness opposed to religious righteousness. See, don't mistake in Christianity today for going to church, just, I should say, just going to church, just giving to the poor, just praying, just reading your Bible. You can do all of that, and yet Jesus says it can still be poison to your life. Come on. You're saying, just wait a second. Well, just hear me out. Hear what Jesus had to say here. You see... Um, 
the question has to be asked, how can we do, how can we surpass the righteousness of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious? How could we do that? How, how can we live our Christian life authentically, having Christian goodness that would live sincerely, authentically and genuinely? How could we do that? So let's just, just take a moment to look at what Jesus says in this passage because it's all connected, remember? All three chapters, they're not individual little sermons, they're all connected. What Jesus spoke about, it's all kind of um, it's connected together. And I want to, uh, and, and over the next two weeks, I want to talk about some things. Today is just the start of what I want to continue next week. But what, the number of things that, talks, that Jesus talks about that religious righteousness needs to be surpassed by our Christian goodness, they're the terms I use, um, is there's a number of things Jesus says. Number one, he says it's brighter. Number two says it's deeper. Number three says it's sweeter. And I'm, I can't cover all those subjects today, but let me take on that it's brighter. We need to be brighter. Let's talk about being brighter. And what do I mean? What do I mean about being brighter if we're going to have a Christian goodness? Well, in Matthew chapter 5, 14 and 16, it says here, we read it this morning, didn't we? It says, you are the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do, nor do they place a light, light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand it gives light to all those who are in the house. So shine your light before men, they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Here's the thought. There's two groups of people. There's the group of people who take their light and shine it out in the open. There's another group of people who have a light as well, but they put it under a basket or they put it and they hide it. Both groups have lights. Both groups have a desire for God in some way, but there's one group that shine it, there's one group that hide it. Um, one is putting their light on a bowl to hide it, the other is putting it on the lampstand to see. The first, so, so the first difference that you've got to understand between Christian goodness and religious righteousness is that it shows clearly, it's showing clearly in the relationship you have with this world. Okay? It is showing clearly in the relationship you have with this world. Christianity... Christian goodness is attracted to people who, don't, who you don't agree with. Christian, let me explain it. You see, people who don't live the way you live, people who don't believe the way you believe, um, as a Christian, with Christian goodness, you're attracted to those people. You see a fallen community, you see a fallen world, you see a heart running away, just destroying itself. And Christ, with Christian goodness, your heart says, I'm attracted to that. I want to go in there and make something good of that. I want to help. I want to support. We're attracted. See, Christian goodness is, see, as a light, we're at, we want to be attracted. We're attracted as a Christian to that um, which is decaying and falling apart. Um, Christians are attracted. Jesus explains it this way when he talks about this being attracted in our hearts to the lost of this world or the fallen of this world. And, and he talks about it as an example of salt. Okay? He says, and he talks about it here, doesn't he? He says salt. See, we, we put salt on things to preserve things, don't we? Is that true? I, I remember um, the time I went to Italy and I went into this beautiful little shop in Siena and hanging from the roof was all these incredible um, lumps of legs of meat and beef and ham. And they'd obviously been there not just for weeks but months. And you know how they, how they were still there and not rotten? It's because they were preserved. They were just covered in salt. They'd been injected with salt. And, 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 you know, you'd, and to take, a, take one of those slithers of that and eat it was just incredibly um, flavoursome, amazing. 
And so we see that salt actually preserves stuff. So what does that mean is when Christians by nature of their being true disciples of Christ, they sometimes see, they see this fallen world and when they see the community fallen, they want to go in. They want to be salt in there. They want to go in and touch the community. They want to go and do something. See, Jesus would go in all the time, wouldn't he? Jesus would go and he would eat with sinners and even tax collectors. And, 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 but the religious leaders hated him for that. But he would always go in. He'd be attracted to the lost. And if there's going to have Christian authenticity and Christian goodness, they're saying, you know, it's your relationship with the world. How do you do it? Is your light going to be out there or is your light going to just hide it under a bowl? Because those who hide it under a bowl are the religious righteous, righteousness who say, you know what? I'm not interested in going into that group of people. That looks nasty. That could really hurt. I don't want to be involved in that because I could be polluted in my spirit or soul if I go in and get involved in that. Didn't Jesus touch the leper, the most unclean thing you could ever possibly do? So he, we see Christ, the, you know, for uh, Jesus would go in all the time, and we see that the religious people who hide their, hide their light under a bowl, what does that mean? What they're really saying is that means they don't like being out there with all the people who are different to them. They're not attracted to those who are falling apart. They can actually f- feel like they're doing their religion a service by staying away from those who are different and polluted. So we've got to be careful because the Christian goodness says, you know what, I'm attracted to have deeds of mercy and love. And I want to go in there because, we're a, because um, the community needs something of life. You know, um, uh, for three years... As a community of Christians, not just our church, but different churches and different Christians all over this community, every Saturday night they went into the main street of Gladstone from about 10 o'clock on Saturday night till about 4 or 5 in the morning, and we, just, we were just salt in that place. We were attracted to the darkness. And I tell you what, we made a difference because Jesus was a part of it. That's what we're talking about. That's what Jesus was talking about. You want to be salt? Salt is a tr- you, it, it makes you attracted You want to go in and do something that preserves, that brings life. Christian goodness has another side to it because the job of salt is not just to preserve, but the the job of salt sometimes is to make things taste good. It's attractive. So it's not just attracted, but it's also attractive. There's one thing you've got to have with baked potatoes. If you don't have it with baked potatoes, I don't know how you can eat baked potatoes. But when my wife pulls a tray of crispy, crispy, you've got to get crispy, baked potatoes out of the oven. Can you just smell it right now? And she puts them there and she puts them on my plate. And, you know, I, there's only one thing better than baked potatoes, and that's baked potatoes and salted baked potatoes. I mean, I get that little salt jar and I just... It's the, it's the one thing in my life that I have to repent of every time I do. But, man, I just smother it in salt because I just think baked potatoes and salt were made to go together. Now, I don't say to Michelle after I've eaten the baked potatoes, man, that was a great, that was a great meal of salt. Now, what I say is that was a great meal of baked potatoes. I just love that baked potatoes. And, you know, the, the reality is, is that because the job of salt is not to make us think more about the great salt, but the job of salt is to make us enjoy that thing that salt is involved with. 
Can you see that? We're, attract, we're attractive. It makes it tasty. You get tasty when you get God on the inside. You get attractive to other people. I, I want to tell you, to, to push this along a little bit further, not only are we attracted to the lost, but the lost sometimes going to get attracted to you because you've got something of life. You know, when people come to a group of Christians like a Bible study or maybe they go to church or maybe they do something else with a group of Christians and they, and they kind of, you know, some of your friends have had this testimony. They go away thinking, man, I, I felt so encouraged in that group. They got something in there. What is it? What is it? And what, what is happening is generally Christians, we can make things better. We get in there and we make it taste a little bit better. Salt makes things taste better so Christian goodness can make things better but what happens with religious people is they make people feel condemned ever come across a person who the first thing they want to tell the lost person is get your act together and you know what they're totally right but you know what that's that sometimes isn't the best way to start a conversation religious people are more looking at the reality of what the person's doing wrong than the reality of the person needs Christ because when the person need, gets a hold of Christ often what they do wrong will drop off you know but you know there's a reality here see salt makes us attracted to and attractive to attractive to those others see Jesus speaks um, he speaks in Matthew 7, if we were to read Matthew 7, he speaks about this little story. He speaks about the speck of the specks and the planks in people's eyes. Remember that story? He says, you know, you've got a, some of you got a speck. You think you've got a speck in your eye, but really you've got a plank. And when we talk about that, what's that talking about? What's that talking about is we often think, well, that's just talking about not making moral um, moral evaluations about people or not making moral judgments on people you know we we can't make moral judgments on people I, I just want to tell you folks we've <laughs> some people say oh you should never judge folks we've got to you judge every day we've got to judge we've got to judge every day you know what we've got to do is we've got to make decisions about and people because if you did it you could find yourselves in a lot of difficult situations it's not that you don't love people it's just that you of course you make a judgment. Of course we make, you know, here's the truth. What Jesus is saying then, judging wrongly, because that's what he's talking about, judging wrongly. Judging wrongly is doing moral evaluations with superiority. Grab a hold of this. Judging wrongly is always seeing yourself, your sin as a speck, but other, everybody else's sin as a plank. Judging wrongly is always comparing yourself, walking through life, comparing yourself, well, I'm better than that person, and I'm better than that person, and I'm better than that person. It's not, a, do you understand? That's what judging wrongly is all about. When we continually set ourselves up as someone better than someone else, because that's the way it is with me. That's what Jesus is talking about. The truth is, we've sometimes all got just specks in our eyes and we've all got all planks in our eyes. But the reality is, don't walk around trying to work out, well, there's a plank person, there's another plank person. Oh, they're, they're sin small. Um, I'm better than all of them because I haven't. See, you know, it's always coming to the understanding of walking in the reality that, hey, we walk on equal ground and it's level ground. And it's not walking around uh, not making moral judgments because we've got to. I'm not going to walk up to a murderer and say, yeah, have a go at me. We've got to make a moral judgment, haven't we? But it's walking up and thinking, well, their sin is far greater than mine. No. Mine is just as bad. 
And Jesus is talking about this. The religious people, you know what the religious people always do? They're always making moral judgments based upon, well, I'm not as good, I'm not as bad as them. Do you remember there was a scene in the temple that Jesus explained? There was a man, a Pharisee came in, or a religious leader, and he stood there about to give his offering, and he said, you know, I just prayed this prayer. He says, God, I'm just glad I'm not like the other person right there. I give regularly. I pray regularly. I come to the temple regularly. Man, he's really blowing it in so many places. And yet the man who was down here kneeling, about to give his offering, said, Father, forgive me for what I've done wrong. Help me to, Lord, as I give this, take it, receive it. Can you see the different attitude? And so Jesus is saying, you know what Christian goodness is? It's, it's not that we don't judge. It's just that we don't judge um, with the attitude that I've got, you know, superiority. It's a real killer in your Christian life. To walk around thinking, well, I'm so much better. You never have been. You never will be. Because with Jesus, he, he, he takes us and he values each of us equally. Um, see, the Christian message, the, the, the religious righteous continually walk around with a superior attitude. Um, which is so sad, isn't it? So sad. I always, always remember, um, see, see, we can understand that, can you understand something here? Please understand something here. What, understand what I didn't say. Christian, the Christian message um, is not always popular. You see, I'm saying the Christian goodness will always be attractive to people. You know, you can attract people, but when you present the gospel or the good news of Jesus, you'll get some kickback, you'll get some people who don't agree with you. And you know what? That's okay. See, the Christian message, I'm not saying the Christian message isn't, sometimes it's not popular. When you present the message, it's not popular. But what I'm saying is the Christian goodness is attractive and attracting, and it isn't, um, and, and it isn't the Christian message. Christian goodness from your heart, sometimes what you find is you reach out to the lost, and you care for a person, and you present the gospel, and they get upset with you about the gospel, but they're attracted because of the goodness of Jesus Christ in your life. And they say, and you know, they sometimes come back and say, well, I don't agree with you, but you know, you're not a bad guy. You're not a bad person. I always remember that I was uh, at the Harbour Festival with a good friend of mine. He's still a good friend. And uh, we were kind of just talking to people about Jesus. And as we're um, sitting there having a coffee, my mate just gave it to this young lady. He just gave it to her. Man, he, he gave her everything within five minutes, blasted her. She sat there a little bit stunned. And then he said, what do you think of that? And she said, I just think you're a bit rude. <laughs> he went, oh. And he walked off. And he left me with this whole situation to fix up. And so I just, thankfully she hung around and I just talked to her. And I just, I kind of, you know... I suppose I just related to her. And I thought, and then we finally parted, and I thought, we'll never see that lady in the kingdom of God. A year later, she walked through that front door. And she's coming to this church, and she said, remember me? I said, I certainly do. I said, how did you make it? Well, she said, you know, she didn't actually say exactly how, but I just think, well, something must have happened. Whether my friend actually planted a seed as rough as it was, or maybe the reality is, maybe she saw a mixture of Christian goodness. And I, have no, I am no angel, believe me.
with me. But I realized I had to try and, um, I had to try and fix up this little mess that my good mate had, had kind of presented to me. So, you know, the, we, we sometimes, Christian, um, the religious righteousness of people is that we go out and we want to just nail and condemn. But the Christian goodness is we want to present the gospel. It will be offensive, but you know what? Uh, we've got to let our light shine, folks, and not hide it under a bushel. That's the, that's the core of Christian goodness. It's brighter. And that's what I mean by it's brighter. It's brighter. It's brighter. Christian goodness is deeper and sweeter, but we'll talk about that again sometime. But let me just say this uh, today. In Matthew chapter 6, there's these wonderful verses Jesus speaks. Still, it's a Sermon on the Mount. And he says this, do not worry he says, do not worry about tomorrow because tomorrow I have enough worries of his own. And then he talks about, he says, because don't I look after the birds of the air? And don't I, don't I look after all the flowers of the field? Don't I, um, you know, um, uh, look after those? Would, would I not even look after you? He says, I know the hairs on your head are counted. He says, I know about you. And you know what God is really saying in Matthew 6? He says, you're incredibly valuable. God sees you as valuable. And here's what Jesus is saying to us through the Sermon on the Mount. The difference between Christianity and religious righteousness is this. Religious people obey the laws of God trying to get value, but Christian goodness obeys God because they already know they're valued by God. The religious righteous must continue to live their lives trying to get the value. So, you, know, you know the religious in Matthew 6 that says you, when you pray, you pray to God so that you, he, hoping he will listen to you because of your many words. It says, you know, when you give to the poor, you give to the poor hoping that they'll honor you. That's the religious righteousness. Always trying to seek value from what can be given to you or what respect you can, you can harvest or that you think if you pray enough and you pray with the right words, God will hear you as in differential to the, if you didn't pray with the right words. God hears your heart, folks, anyway. You see what we're saying here? You see, a religious person is trying to get value. A religious person says, if I can do all these things, then God will have to listen to me and people have to honor me. But the Christian goodness is obeying God's law out of value. Out of the value that I know that God values me already. Not seeking value because you know you're valued already by God. See, I don't obey Him to get from Him. I obey Him because of His love already for me. Didn't He say, while you were still a sinner, Christ loved you? Isn't that amazing? The Bible says he loved us while we were still not even acknowledging him. That's the Krishna's goodness understanding. To understand that God values me. You know, I, a good, you know when there's a good father, as in a, a natural earthly father here. You know, and as a father, once again, I didn't get it all right. But in bringing up my three beautiful daughters, there was times I just had to discipline them. As a father, there was times I just had to pull them aside. And there was the way that I did it in that I would discipline them and, and I would give them a smack. They've each received a smack at different times. But, you know, I would restore them. And it's, and it's in that restoration time I would, I would sit with my daughters and speak to them and say, you know. And we'd understand and we'd, we'd be able to identify what they did wrong. And then we'd identify uh, with each other the love that I had for them. 
And I'd pray with them, and sometimes they'd, and they, and I'd say to them, "Do you understand what you did wrong?" And they, yes. And then I say, "Do you understand that I love you dearly?" And they go, yes. And I'd pray with them and restore them, and they'd put their little forehead on my forehead, and we'd pray this little prayer, help them to understand how much you love them and I love them. And to do those things will not help them in life. Do you know, I often found that it actually in, it, it instilled an incredible um, love and understanding between us as, as father and daughters, those times. And, you know, how a heavenly father, you may say, God doesn't, you know, just kind of breeze over all our wrongs and all our things that we've done wrong. But you've got to understand, I came continually as a father. See, when my daughter had done something wrong, I didn't say, well, that's it, out on the street. <laughs> you know, you've done that too many times. You know, go and find your own way. And, that's, and it's exactly like our Heavenly Father. He will value you no matter what you do right or wrong. It's just that, you know, He knows if you continue to do wrong, you'll find yourself in a lot of heartache and issues and problems and struggles. And He doesn't want that for you. That's why it says in Hebrews 11 and 12, He says, I discipline those I love. And how does discipline come? It's not like God gets this massive stick and whacks you a couple of times around the ears. No, we find that our, the very um, discipline comes as we find that the consequences of what we do wrong really does bring us discipline, doesn't it? If I continue to sow, I'll continue to reap. So to understand that God values me and I don't have to earn it, is a key to being a person who has Christian goodness and it helps us discard religious righteousness. And we've got to take a grasp of that because sometimes I think in our relationship with God, we can think if I just pray a little longer, God will accept me more. He couldn't accept you any more than He does today already. Now, you're praying longer could be a really good thing because it'll actually, but the thing it'll do is not draw God nearer to you, it'll just draw you nearer to God. I should, well, if I read my Bible for 20 minutes instead of 10 today, maybe God will accept me more. No, 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 He'll accept you whether you read it 10 or 20 or whatever. It's just that if you do read it a little longer, you might find that you might get greater revelation of what He's about. It's not because He's going to value you more or love you anymore. And if there's one thing the Pharisees and the Sadducees did, they continually walked around, unfortunately, with this righteousness. And that's what Jesus spoke about in verse 20 here. He says, you know, you're, you're, you've got to surpass, your righteousness has got to surpass their righteousness. Does that mean that I've got to do, because the Pharisees had set up like 645 different rules and laws that they had to, it's about that, I'm not quite sure the number. I mean, and, and they, I mean, every day they had a checklist. The Pharisees, we'd done this one, we did this one, this, this one, this one, this one. That's no way to live the Christian life, isn't it? And sometimes we think, well, that's, how, can my, how can my righteousness surpass that? Well, it's got nothing to do with the external stuff, folks. It's got everything to do with the internal heart in our relationship with God and not how good or bad we are. Everything to do with the external thing. So how can our Christian goodness surpass the religious righteousness of the religious teachers? Simply as we come and realize that we're valued, that we're valued of Him. And out of value that we know He already values with, we then be obedient to Him and, and live a life that He would ask us to live out of that incredible value He has for us. 
If that's the message, that's the message of the Sermon on the Mount. But we'll continue. Can we just stand this morning as we close? And I want to just pray. Just want to pray this morning. If you're here this morning and you would say, well, you know, this whole Christian thing, you know, I, I really need to get to first base. I really just need to come and I need to receive. Because it says in the Word of God, you receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord, that is Lord of your life. And Savior, that means he died to take away your sins and you, for you to be forgiven. You need a friend like that. You all need a friend like that. And I'm so glad he can be that friend. And he wants to be that friend to you because he knows, he knows your past, but he still sees and thinks about the best for you in your future. And today, if you just need to say yes to Jesus Christ, you know you need to do that. For maybe the very first time or maybe for again. I'd invite you this morning just to raise your hands. I'll see that hand. You can put it down and just say, pray for me. Pray for me. Not that my prayer is any more powerful than anybody else's, but this morning it's getting past the works mentality and it's plugging into a relationship with God and you can do it through Jesus Christ. Right now, if there's anybody across the auditorium just says yes to Jesus, just raise your hand and say, yep, include me in that prayer. Thank you. Anybody else this morning? Thank you. Anybody else this morning in the building? How about we pray a prayer together then? For two precious people who've just raised and responded, how about those particular people? I'll make it really easy. I say the prayer we all repeated after together. It's simply a response from your heart to God, even though I know I'm leading you in that prayer. It's your response to Him. But let's do it together this morning, hey? Let's make it real, make it authentic. Every time someone's up here and asks us to pray a prayer, I make it again. I suppose I respond again to him. But less for those two precious lives who said yes to Jesus this morning for the first time. Or again, let's together support them as we pray. So he goes, Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you this morning. And I think you had a plan for me. You always have. And you accept me. But first, I accept your son. He died for me to take my sin so I could be forgiven. And I thank you for that. That I can now confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that Jesus Christ rose again, and I can rise out of my past and live for you. Help me to do that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, that I'm a child of yours right now. Amen. Father, I pray for those who put their hand up this morning. I thank you for their, their courage this morning to do that. 
But I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would just eject something of your incredible love and character, your strength in their lives. But Lord, be, this will be just the beginning in many ways, just this, another stepping stone of the journey that you want to take them on, that they'll know your Holy Spirit and just your presence and your touch in their lives. And I commit them to you in the name of Jesus. And everyone agreed, said? Amen. Come on. How about we just for a moment rejoice, worship for a moment this morning, and we just uh, and continue to just, you know, I, I just continually, you know, I want to be honest that sometimes as a Christian, I think I've got it all right, and especially in that attitude of, you know, uh, superiority, I think, no, I, you know, I'm okay, I'm pretty humble, but you know, you come across a situation and you have that little attitude rise up, oh, I, I really am I'm better than him. I'm better than them. You know, it's a real trap because you can slip, you can go from Christian goodness into religious righteousness so quick. It's just a thought away, isn't it? Sometimes, and you've got to pretend, you've got to realize, hey, God, I just need to be authentic and genuine. What I am is because of you, and I'm thankful for you. Come on, let's do that. Thanks, team.